0: to our scripture today. I want to mention one more thing, and that is this coming Sunday, parents, um, next Sunday is our impromptu Christmas pageant. uh, We use our kids in a really, really fun way to go over the Christmas story. Uh, That is next week, and it's a great day. So parents bring your kids. Don't miss next week. Uh, Open up to the Gospel of Matthew for our scripture today. Matthew Begins his gospel. Matthew's the longest of the four gospels. Um, you know, we would, we would say these four books, four gospels that describe Jesus, as, tell about Jesus as just so crucial to our Christian faith. Matthew begins his gospel in uh, an important but kind of an interesting way. And we're going to read the very beginning of the gospel of Matthew. Um, So here it is, the first 17 verses. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Ruth, uh, Rahab, sorry, the other R, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Now, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile in Babylon. And after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of uh, Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Jeruzabel, Jeruzabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Methun, Methun, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there are 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Father, thank you for this list of names, and as we think about them, help us to see the truth that you want to give us, this faith-building, life-giving truth this morning. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, uh, we're talking about peace for most of us living in America. I would su- suppose, my guess is, that uh, the Christmas season is anything but peaceful. That's probably not for just for Americans today, but probably every generation uh, in our country. The, the Christmas season, especially modern-day celebration of Christmas, um, can seem like it's anything but peaceful. And that is why we have this church season of Advent, so that we can ground ourselves in a different storyline than the one that the world and our culture offers us this kind of year. And it's God's storyline. And Matthew starts unpacking in his gospel the storyline of the coming of the Messiah. And you might be intrigued why Matthew begins his telling of the good news of the Messiah with this lengthy list of names. This is how he starts his, his, big, his big work, his big letter about the Messiah, and this list of names. And you might think, Matthew, that, that's interesting. We, if I were writing this, Matthew, I probably would have put this as an appendix. Like, see page 278 if you want to see the details of Jesus' ancestry. But Matthew says, no, right up front. Let's talk about... All of these names that come before Jesus. So here's what you need to know about this list of names. Matthew is not starting this lengthy document of his, this gospel to us, by simply giving out information. He is making a statement about God himself. See, Matthew is is writing primarily to Jews. It's, it's his, scholars would say that's his primary audience of this gospel of his. Jews who are oppressed by the Roman Empire, and he is telling them about the plan of God. Now, look at verse 1. Verse 1, as I read it to you, um, the New International Version puts it kind of plainly. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. But if you read from the the English Standard Version, and I know a lot of you prefer the English Standard Version, it, it begins like this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, different people have looked at that, and they've said, ah, Matthew, when he, when he uses that language, the book of the genealogy, or the book of the, the generation or the origins of Jesus, he's not using it in any special way. And others look at that and say, actually, we think that Matthew is doing something intentional by using the word the book. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And I, I kind of side with them. I think Matthew is making a statement when he uses that term book here. He's, he's starting this book of his with this genealogy and saying, this is an important introduction to my writing in, in my gospel. I'm going to unpack a theme to you throughout, throughout this lengthy document, leading all the way up to its conclusion, which we, which we read in our Matthew chapter 28, this conclusion that we, that we read at the very end, and it all works together, and he introduces it with this long list of names. And here's the theme that I want to just point out the theme of the Gospel of Matthew, I believe. And the theme is this. It is the plan of God to fulfill his promises to the peoples of the earth, to all the peoples of the earth, through the person of Jesus Christ. It's the plan of God to fulfill his promises to the peoples of the earth through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew divides this genealogy into three sections. And each section, we're going to look at each section, and we're going to see a really important detail about this plan of God to fulfill his promises to the peoples of the world through the person of Jesus Christ. As I look through these three sections, I, I thought of uh, three headings that might kind of serve us as an outline uh, the, the notable. First, the notable. Then the notorious and then the nobodies. So we're gonna look at the through this list of names, these three sections under those three headings. First, the the, the notable. From Abraham to King David, the first section of names listed. Now uh you might not consider every name in this section notable. Like as you read through it, you might have heard some names like Ram and Nashon. Those don't sound too notable. Or Aminadab, who is that? But listen, for the Jews that Matthew is writing to, they would, have, they would have been extremely familiar with these names. They certainly would have, I mean, every good Jew would have known Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, certainly by heart. And they certainly would have known the last four names. They probably would have known all 14, but certainly the last four as well. Um, Boaz, Obed, Jesse to David. those would have been, oh, so commonplace for and important for the Jew living uh, during jesus day, or right before Jesus. And it makes me wonder, what, so why would Matthew have pointed out all these generations when every Jew that he was writing to would have known these names by heart? Because Matthew is not just providing information. He's providing a message. Matthew is not answering the biological how Jesus came into the world, but rather the purpose why Jesus came into the world. That's what Matthew is addressing, the purpose why Jesus came into the world. And it was to fulfill a promise that God made to the peoples of the earth. Now, promise we see going all the way back to, what's the first name in the list? Abraham. That promise was first given to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, we read about God's call to, to Abraham to leave his family, to leave his homeland, go to a nation, go to a land that, that you do not know, and I will show you where to go. And um, this, this, this God, it was unknown to Abraham, this God unknown to Abraham at the time, said, I want you to go and go where I show you. Where I, where I will show you to go. And I'm going to do something new for you, Abraham. Follow me. And then he gives Abraham a promise. And let's look at this promise in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And it's that last phrase that I want to focus on because this is not just a promise to Abraham, is it? Who is it a promise to? All peoples, nations on the earth. And they will be blessed through Abraham, not necessarily by Abraham, as if Abraham's going to be going up to every person and being a a blessing to them or giving them a blessing um, somehow. But God is going to do something through Abraham and through Abraham's faith, and through the descendants of Abraham that God would bring. And they would be a blessing to all peoples on earth. So the Jewish people, as they read this list of notables, uh, they would have had no hard time remembering the storyline of Abraham's faith and him following God to this new land. And and how the generations that followed Abraham, that, that, that God brought the children of Abraham to the promised land. But they would have also remembered the difficult part, parts of, of that storyline of getting to the promised land. The, the Jews during uh, the, the, the time of Jesus would have remembered uh, the difficult part of that storyline. For example, the 400 years of living in Egypt, becoming slaves to the Egyptians, the the Israelites spending these 400 years um, before God would bring them back to the promised land. Or they would have remembered the 40 years of the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness, not far away from the promised land, just on the other side of the Jordan River, wandering around for 40 years before God brought them over to the promised land. Uh, Why, Lord, they might have asked, was this journey so long and so convoluted and twisted and, why? And in this story, we see something, that what we see as a fog, God sees crystal clear, and that is his plan that he is fulfilling, this plan of delivering on his promises. And so I think there's a point for us, an important point for us to, to know as, as we think about God's plan, and it's this. If you've been waiting a long time, if you've been waiting a long time for God's promises, for something to happen, your waiting will not be in vain. That's what we see in this list of names, this first section of the genealogy of Jesus. There's a psalm that that says that, Psalm uh, 25, verse 3. It says this, "'None who wait for God shall be put to shame.'" And we see that idea in the Psalms and in different wordings and phrases, but we see it again and again. If you look to God, if you hope, to, hope in God, if you, if you wait for God, then you will not be put to shame. In other words, God won't pull the rug out from underneath you where others would just then laugh at you as you've, as you've you know fallen, collapsed. And God won't, won't do that. To you, he, he's going to fulfill his promises to you. You'll never be put to shame if you keep hoping and hoping and waiting and waiting and looking and looking to God. That's what we see through this first section of the, the genealogy. If you've been waiting for a long time, your waiting will not be in vain. And then we move to this next section, the 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 notorious this next section of the genealogy that traces. From David through the exile in Babylon. And how did the Jewish people find themselves in exile in Babylon? Because of a string of idolatrous, wicked kings that led them astray. Um, and that's what we see in this next section. So if you look at verse 6, you'll, you'll notice something interesting. Look at your verse 6 if you have it in front of you or it's on the screen. Um, and Jesse, the father of King David. David's title is included. King David is the only, he's the only titled king in this long list of kings in this second section. See, Matthew says he's writing of the origins of Jesus Christ. Christ is a title given to Jesus, Jesus the anointed one, or Jesus the Messiah. Jesus God's Messiah. Now, for this Jewish audience that Matthew's writing to, any true Jew would have said, "Oh, oh, you're writing about you're writing about the coming Messiah? Well, he had better be in the lineage of King David. He must be a true son of David to be an heir to King David's throne." And so Matthew points that out clearly, King David. And again just like the first 14 names, any Jew would have don't you think they would have known These kings listed, they would have known their history of kings? Of course they would have. They would have so they wouldn't think, oh wait, we had a we had a king named Manasseh? They wouldn't have thought that. We had a king named Jehoram? No, they, they would have known those kings. They knew all the kings in their history, largely because most of those kings, like I said, they were not godly kings. Most of them did very evil things and they led the Israelites astray. It said that by the way of Manasseh, that he led the Israelites away from God so much so that they this is what the Bible says about about them during this time, that they committed more evil than the godless nations that were around them. And even the good kings that we find in this list, if you you know some of the Bible stories, Hezekiah did a lot of good things, and and Josiah, uh, David, even the good kings, they were flawed characters. And Matthew wants to show something about God's plan. Uh, God's plan often look, looks like it is just a bunch of crooked lines <laughs> to us. It looks like it's just a bunch of crooked lines sometimes, including crooked people. And to see these names listed in Jesus' lineage, it points something out to us. Jesus was not ashamed to have his ancestry located in these notorious individuals. Point for us this morning, Jesus is not ashamed to have you in his family. No one is beyond the redemptive reach of God. Uh, let, let me tell you about one of the stories, the particular stories about King David. Uh, he's a flawed character, you know, and, and the story I'm not going to tell is is the, the one we often think about, the flaws of David is is affair with Bathsheba. Oh, a different story, um, where we see how God uses even people's sins to bring about God's plan. So one day David had this idea, you might remember this story, David had this idea to conduct a census of the Israelite nation, which may seem like a good idea. Uh, prudent, good resource planning, let's let's count all of our, our people. But actually, it was seen as a sinful idea. Certainly to God, but others around David saying, David, why would you do such a sinful thing? And the Bible isn't, I don't remember, I don't think the Bible is clear uh, why it was considered a sin, but, but I, I think, it would make sense that it would be like this, like like a, a wealthy man counting his money. You know, "Ooh, let me count all of all that I got. Look at all these people in front of me." It was a sign of pride. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. How did David get such an idea to conduct this, this, this census and count all of his, his people? Well, uh, here's what First Chronicles 21 verse 1 says. It says this. And this may be what we would expect. Um, how did this happen? Well, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Well, that makes sense, right? The tempter, tempting David into this sin. But let's look at another scripture, uh, 2 Samuel 24, verse 1. And this is how uh, 2 Samuel explains it. Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David. Who incited David? The Lord incited David against them, saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. God stirred up David to conduct the census, and then God carried out his judgment against David and the Israelites. And it was clear... This was clearly a sin of David. If you read some of the other verses; you can look it up on your own. It's clear that it points out this is God saw this as a sinful action of David. Yet it was incited by God. Now I mention the story, not because I think it brings great clarity to the ways of God, because sometimes the ways of God are not they're not clear to us. Um. Maybe it's clear to you that it is to me, but sometimes God's ways are not clear. But I, I tell you the story because it does bring clarity to the complete sovereignty of God. God is in complete control of this world. He's in complete control of your life, just as he was in control throughout the strange lineage of the kings of Israel. So whatever your circumstances are, you have to know, you are not there because you've made such a mess of things and God is miles and miles away and that he's completely powerless to sort things out. No, you are, you are, you are there under God's sovereign direction and he's there and God's in it. And, and we have our plans, right? We have our plans and God has his plan. And sometimes, sometimes our plans... Oh, they can seem like they're just great ideas at the time, and then sometimes it turn into a train wreck. Sometimes, listen, sin almost always seems like it's a great idea at the time, and it will lead to some kind of a wreck. And I'm not saying that our plans are a sin. I'm not saying that. I'm just pointing out to how there are multiple things that can happen in life where all of a sudden you're like, how did I get here? What's going on? Things, like, things seem like they're going off the rails right now. And little hope is to be found. And when you find yourself thinking that, think of God using this, this mess of a lineage of kings to bring about his perfect plan of bringing the Messiah into the world. See, God operates in messes. And now I want to look at the third section of this this genealogy, the nobodies. We have the notable, the notorious, and now the nobodies. This this third list of names um, perhaps is the section that the Jewish people of Jesus' day might have been like, oh, I, I don't recognize that name. There's no biblical account of most of these names. First two, a little bit, Zerubbabel, maybe a name that you're familiar with. But after that, it's just until we get to Joseph. Uh, these are nobodies. There's, there's no biblical account of them, except for right here. <laughs> um But one thing is apparent. Uh, Raymond Brown brings this out in his commentary on this. It took 14 generations of kings to lead the Israelites right into idolatry and into to, to exile, scattered in exile. It took 14 twisted kings to do that. But these next 14 generations were somehow part of the restoration process. These, these nobodies, the, the people that you haven't heard of, Somehow they were a part of God bringing his restoration to the Israelites. And we don't know hardly anything about them. They were just quietly faithful. Now what do we see for us in that? It's this. Jesus' genealogy, it eliminates the idea that you are too unimportant for Jesus' storyline. When we look through Jesus' gene- genealogy, especially this last section where you're like, I have no idea who these people are. Never heard of them. It eliminates the idea that you are too unimportant for Jesus' storyline. See, Jesus knows you, and he plans to use you to carry on his storyline. See, I mentioned that this genealogy was the introduction to the book of Matthew where he reveals how Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise that he made to Abraham, and that all nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And and here we have in the book uh, that Matthew has given to us, written largely to to Jews about Jesus, a Jewish Messiah. Now, how is that fulfilling Abraham's promise, that all the nations... Would be blessed through him. Well, at the very end of his book, what we call our Matthew chapter 28, Jesus meets with his disciples. And he gives them a commission. And, and we call that not the, not the regular commission, not the meh commission. We call it the great commission. And Jesus says, therefore, tells his disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of, of What? Of all nations. This is Matthew's idea from the beginning of his gospel to the end. All nations are going to be blessed through you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's God's plan for the people of his church. If you follow Jesus, you have a part to play in the, in the carrying on of that storyline. So let's talk about the peace that we can receive as we look at this genealogy. Three summary points here Um, that we'll get to in a second. Uh, Let's talk about plans. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 21, you, you might remember this proverb. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And I was thinking of how much unrest we can have when we feel that our plans are not coming to fruition. Man, that that can that can that can really make me nervous on the inside. When I'm like, how's my, how's my plan gonna work, Lord? Um or when our plans just stop and just fail. Or, or when we question, how am I ever going to work this out, Lord? Or, or when we feel remorse and regret, when we've realized I've just done something to wreck my plan, Th- that can really tear us up on the inside. But this genealogy, if we'll turn to this genealogy It promises peace, but not peace found in our plans, right? Rather, peace in God's plan. God's plan has your name in it. When God wrote your name in his plan, he was not ashamed to do that. He was delighted to write your name. It gave him great pleasure to write your name in his plan. And that plan is that he would give to you a Savior King, And he'd give you a task to help bring the message of that Savior King to the world. And in so doing, God is spreading his salvation throughout the world. So here are three thoughts as we think about this plan of God. One, um, if you have been waiting with no resolution, just wait a little bit more. We talked about that from the first section of the genealogy. If you're waiting for a resolution on something... If you're waiting for a promise of God to be fulfilled, just wait a little bit more. I I thought of 1 Peter 5, verse 10, where Peter, you think Peter learned a thing or two from Jesus in his time with Jesus. Uh, Peter writes to us this, and the God of grace, who, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, that's God's, That's where God is leading us. That's that's his ultimate plan for us. Eternal glory in Christ. Um, After you have suffered just a little while, Peter writes, after you have suffered a little while, God himself will restore you and he will make you strong and firm and steadfast. So believe that. And if you've been waiting, just wait a little bit longer. I think we learned that from the genealogy too. We learned this. Our mistakes do not endanger God's plan. But rather, God's plan encompasses our mistakes. Just like God's plan encompassed that mistake of David, that sin of of David, God's sovereign encompassing of that sin, and God used it to just carry out His purposes. So if you've been regretful or worried about mistakes that you've made or turns for you that have just seemed terrible, then trust in this persistent plan of God. You look through that line of kings, you wonder, gosh, God, how did you work in that, in that train wreck of idolatry? And God, God says, I'll tell you what was going on through all of that mess. I was working out. My plan of bringing my Savior or your Savior into into the world. Um, You know, the beginning of the Heidelberg Catechism may be particularly helpful in this point. Uh, The first question of the Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and death? Well, that I am not my own. I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. And then it says, he has fully paid for my sins with his precious blood. So I don't, I don't you know, if you're regretful or remorseful of the mistakes that you've made, sins that you've made, Jesus' blood has, has covered those. He's, he's fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Well, that's good. I like that. And he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation, even my mess-ups and the messes that I'm in. All things, God works together for your salvation. God is working out his plan for your good through all the details of your life, not just the great details. And lastly... so that we don't mistake that this is all about us. Our third point, God's plan to bless all peoples, it also passes through you. God has written your name in his plan, and his plan is to bless you and to give you peace. But it's not all about you. It's so that you could go out and you can, I thought of the phrase that we see in the gospel, be a person of peace, that you could be a person of peace to others, that you can share peace to others, that you can reconcile with others, that you can share Christ with others, that that you can believe for this world in the faithfulness of God. Uh, we're going to finish with uh, singing It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. um, Which reminds us of a a hurting world that is waiting for its Savior. And as we pray and as we sing, let us commit ourselves again. God, I want to I want to play my part in carrying out your plan, fulfilling your promises to the peoples of this world, through the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let us pray. Now, Lord and our God, we are humbled by uh, your plan. We're, we're, you include us, and you, you didn't need to. and you're faithful to us and we don't deserve that and you never leave us and when you when you bring us into your family and if you have been walking far from god you can be a part of his family this morning you can you can begin your life in god's family this morning by responding to this invitation that god gives to us receive my son as savior and I adopt you into my family. And when you're adopted into God's family, God's not ashamed of you, and he's so thrilled to have you in his family. And Lord, we certainly don't deserve that. Help us to see all that you do for us and that you will do for us, and then help us to to have some boldness in what you're going to be doing through us as you continue to carry out your plan. And help us to see what you're going to be doing through Hope Church as you continue to carry out your plan of bringing your Savior, the Messiah, to to people. So we thank you. And uh, may we find great peace in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.